Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman. And I'm Jed Robine. In each episode, we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations. So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome to the Commission Podcast. My name is Jed Robine. I'm the founder of Pilgrim Way Ministries. I'm with my friend Eric Teitelman from the founder of House of David Ministries. This is the third episode, and we're actually continuing on on our interview with Eric, diving into his background, his childhood experiences in uh, American Israel, his journey th- through college and in, into his vocational career, a little bit about his family. We've been talking last episode specifically about uh, once he became a believer, some of the questions he had as a Jewish believer and how the Lord brought him through and, and started him on an accelerated path into ministry. He's been teaching for a number of years on the Hebraic roots of the Christian faith, um, bringing light to, uh, to the Gentiles, as it were, and we're thankful for that. So this is episode three, and I'd like to start back where we left off in, in part two, Eric. Um, I hope you're doing well, uh, doing by the well, way. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Um, as we're talking about House of David, I'm interested to hear, um, over the years now, you've been teaching for really since early 2000s. Yes. Um, what have been some of the unique challenges you faced as a Jewish believer? Um, and what is like fire in your bones in this season as a messenger, as a teacher? Sure. Well, I think one of the areas of the church that I have struggled with, I mean, there have been a couple of areas that I've struggled with. One of them, of course, is the church's seemingly lack of understanding of God's plan and purpose for Israel. Some churches I have met that just, they get it, they're, um, or they're trying to, you know, they really are trying to understand the biblical narrative and prophecy, and, uh, you know, and they're trying to learn, and they're inviting in people like myself to teach. But I think overall I found that's a relatively small percentage of the churches that I've encountered over the years. And, and the vast majority are kind of steeped in their own theology. Uh, you can call it replacement theology or supersessionism. There's all kinds of terms for you know, whatever it is, covenant theology or Reformed theology. But, but the bottom line is, for me, as I found, is that the church, many of the churches don't really seem to understand what I call the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, you know, I think the church really understands the gospel of salvation very well and the Great Commission and the responsibility that we have as believers to share the good news about Yeshua and that uh, Jesus, and that we have eternal life in Him. <clears throat> but the gospel of the kingdom is a much more complicated narrative, and that's where things seemingly go in all kinds of different directions within the church, and 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 unfortunately creates a lot of I would say division even within the church itself. I know God's heart for unity. I know what He prayed, what Jesus prayed in. John chapter 17, and he, and he was speaking of all flesh. He was not just speaking of the Jewish people. I know Paul's heart of unity mm. in Ephesians chapter 2, when he, he talks about the one new man. I know Paul's heart also in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, when he is he's passionately preaching about the Jewish people and the calling, the irrevocable calling that God has placed on the Jewish people to be a light to the nations and how the, the nations are essentially grafted into this cultivated olive tree to become partakers or sharers, equally sharing in the, 
the covenant promises and blessings that initially God had made with Abraham. And so I see the the bigger picture of what God wants to do in terms of completing the gospel of the kingdom with the church. And today the church is fragmented and it's all over the map. That's a, a massive answer to to a question. I like to dive in and tease out a few things. Just I'm thinking about the the, the listeners here. Yes. Um, you know, words like replacement theology or supersessionism. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that is uh, in layman terms? Yeah, very simply, it it has to do with the identity of who is the church. And supersessionism or replacement theology essentially says that the church is the replacement for the nation of Israel, and that, that it's a new nation. God, you know, Israel broke her covenant with God and, and divorced God and asked God for a bill of divorce, and so therefore God said, okay, I'll start over and I'll make a new nation, and I'll grab for myself a new people group from all of the different nations of the earth, and they will now replace Israel as my covenant nation and my chosen people. This is, uh, I think, a really key point to develop. You know, this is really one of the reasons why we want to do this podcast is to answer questions just like this and to dive in a little bit, talk about some of these things, because there is tension. Um, you know, I think there's tension, as we've talked about with you as a, as a Jewish believer and how you feel in church. Yes. And there's there's tension as Gentile believers wrestle with Israel. What right. what does why does it why does Israel matter? Isn't Israel just another nation out there? That's right. And why are we so hyper focused on this? Are you trying to make me a Jew? Like right. there's there's a lot of tension here. Um, and I think let me ask you this question: When where did this all tension come from? Like at what point in the story? You know when I when I read the Bible, um, you know we have the Book of Acts. Yes. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's 3,000 born-again believers. Most of whom were Jews. All of them. Um, and really, you have Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10. Right. And the Gentiles, there's a controversy uh, there that's settled in Acts 15. Is right. God saving the Gentiles? And if he is, do they need to become Jewish in order to be saved? That's right. And do we put them under the law of Moses? And the, and the answer is no. That's right. So it's pretty clear from the scriptural narrative that the tension settled early on. Supposed to. Supposed to. Supposed, supposed to, to have been. Settled, that's right. And and yet here we find ourselves today, almost the reverse is happening, where in the in the in the beginning, the Jew, Jewish church is asking, what do we do with these Gentiles right. that are speaking in tongues and are clearly being filled with the Spirit? Yes. Now, here two thousand years later, um, the Gentile church is asking, what do we do with Israel being back in the land? And mm-hmm. apparently there's Jews that's right. That are believing in Messiah Jesus, and yet they want to maintain their Jewishness. How do we walk all this out? I mean, it's a complicated question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. When did this happen? When did the tension start mounting? Well, I think that the tension obviously started mounting in the first century, because if it didn't, then we would not have had the council in Jerusalem that happens in Acts chapter 15. So it's it's clear that the tension started in the first century. The question is, what caused the tension in right. the first place? Now, Paul talks about this, and you know he's talking about the law of Moses, and and he specifically says that in Ephesians chapter two, for example, that God has torn down the wall of partition and hostility that contained in laws, commandments, and ordinances. 
And so a lot of Christians simply say, uh, well, that's, you know, that's just, you know, the law in a, in a general sense, you know, that, that all these things that Israel was supposed to do, including circumcision, that somehow that created this enmity between uh, the Jewish people and their surrounding nations. Well, that's only part of the narrative. <clears throat> the deeper part of the narrative is that God, in the law itself, actually forbade or prohibited the Jewish people from intermarrying with their surrounding nations. They were, they were not allowed to, to connect with them on any level. Their sons or their daughters were not allowed to intermarry with their surrounding nations. But if you take it to an even deeper level, you, you actually realize that what God was telling the Jewish people is that you are not to take your covenant promises and give them away to these Gentile nations. And that's why Jesus is telling, he's using this analogy, he says, don't take the, you know, the, your food and cast it before swine, lest essentially they trample it and, dis- and tear you to pieces. He's telling them what is effectively in the law of, of Moses that was given to the Jewish people. Now, there's a lot of reason why God set these things up. He was sanctifying Israel as a people, set apart uh, and made holy unto himself. And, and so now we have this, this tension that comes in, which is that essentially God is sanctifying the Gentiles, and he's taking for himself a name out of the nations. He said, and the Gentiles who were called by my name. And the Jews are like, wait a minute, we thought we were the holy sanctified ones that were supposed to remain separate from the Gentiles, and all of a sudden they're, they're in, in the picture here? Like, how did they get into the picture and so there's this. That's where I think that is the source of the tension, where the Jews are saying, "Well, we don't really know how and why God is now opening the door to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are now receiving these covenant promises, and they don't want to have anything to do with all of the laws that were given to the nation of Israel, including circumcision." So, so that's I think where the tension began. Very interesting. Now I'm thinking about in in Acts chapter ten the story of to illustrate your point the story of Cornelius yes that when you, you you know it's a very it's a it's an exquisite exquisitely detailed narrative actually yes of really the first gentile convert and his family and his whole household right and of peter's side of that equation it's told in two parts right. one you have the angel visiting cornelius telling him to yes. send a detachment of men to you know uh, simon the tanner's house right to bring Simon Peter back to preach the gospel. That's right. And conversely, you have Peter having a moment on the roof. That's right. And he gets the vision of the sheets that come down with all of the unclean animals, and we know the story well. You know, the Lord saying three times to him, rise, kill, and eat. That's right. And ultimately, don't don't call unclean that which I'm calling clean. That's right. In other words, Peter, I'm I'm not talking about food. He was not talking about food. I'm talking about the Gentiles. That's right. And you need to go with these men. Yes, they're from me. I've sent them That's basically. Right. So Peter goes, and I think a lot of times we, you know, the barrier that that Peter has to go through, and this is why I want to ask you about from from a Jewish perspective, um, he's transgressing. He's doing something so foreign. He's going to not just a Gentile's house. He's actually going to an enemy's house. That's right. A Roman. A, a Roman. That's right. Of all the Gentiles. That's right. And maybe you could speak a little bit about the context there from a Jewish perspective of the journey that Peter's got to go on here to actually obey right. what the Holy Spirit's telling him to do in Acts chapter 10. 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned the Romans because so there was a law that I just mentioned, and then during the the first war of Israel against the Roman Empire, they passed these very strict edicts, laws that um, made it extremely severely punishable if a Jewish person had any association with the Romans, with the Gentiles. And so Peter, essentially, when he's he's talking to the Lord, he's saying, Lord, you know that it is not lawful for me as a Jewish man to have anything to do with these Gentiles. I can't visit with them. I can't eat with them. I can't really talk to them. I mean, they were commanded to have nothing to do with these Gentiles. And so that's why three times the Lord has to sort of pound through his his head, look, don't call these Gentiles unclean or common, as Peter says, if I've made them holy. And I think the entirety of the narrative, when we go back and understand the law of Moses and how God, you know, he, he chose Israel out of the descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 tribes to become a people for himself, all of the law and all of the narrative is all about how God was separating these this group of people, this family of people, these 12 tribes, separating them from all of the surrounding nations and making them holy unto himself. And, and so it's a, it's a separation between the clean and the unclean, or the holy and the common. And, and yet the Jews did not understand that God wasn't just going to save the nation of Israel and, and save the Jewish people and bring them into this holy covenant relationship with God, that somehow God was just going to open the door and invite all the nations to come in and participate and be a part of this same covenant relationship. They, even though it was, in, surprisingly, even woven into the Old Testament prophecies, the right. Lord even said that he would. Somehow they just didn't get that. Right. There's a, a, a you know, a, it blinders on to right. God's heart for the nations. That's and right. we know, for God so loved the world, That's right. he gave his only begotten son. That's right. You know, that there is this beating, pulsing, pounding heart mm-hmm of God the Father for every tribe and tongue right. to bring them into his family. And that's really the, the story, in my opinion, is, wow, there's, he's restoring Israel and he's restoring the nations. That's and, right. And every tribe and tongue, including the Jewish people, restored together through faith in Jesus. That's right. Sitting at yeah. his table is really where the Father's heart truly lies mm-hmm. uh, here. But as we talk talk through the dynamics from the, from the Gentile perspective, here's Cornelius. Yes. And... You know, I find it interesting that that God comes to him. He's chosen out of the Roman population there at the time in Judea, and he's, you know, he's picked out specifically because it says he fears the God of Israel. Yes. And so Cornelius is doing a few things. He's praying. He's giving alms. Even the Jewish people said, "Okay, you know, he's he's an all right guy." Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's got he's he's somehow ministering with kindness, mm-hmm. and he's aligned himself with the God of Israel to the degree that God sends an angel to him and says, your, your giving and your alms have come before yes. God as a memorial, That's Cornelius. Right. Um, so it's fascinating to me that, that here's a Gentile that lines up with God's heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he did that. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail on what was a catalyst to Cornelius mm-hmm. coming into no, alignment, but he is blessed because of that alignment. So here we have unity, but we've got to fight for unity early on. Yes. Peter's got to fight through some stuff. Cornelius has to fight through some stuff as a Roman uh, to enter in. And even afterwards, it's interesting that Paul has to correct Peter mm-hmm. later on. You know, Peter's eating with the Gentiles, but when his Jewish homies show up, 
he he goes and sits with the Jews, and Paul's mm-hmm. like, you know, you're being a hypocrite. That's right, Peter. And so the, you, I think you're right to your point. You know, where did the tension enter in the story? It, it's always been here. That's right. And it it's carried through all the centuries. Yes. Um. And you know, we'll talk about that in future podcasts. Some of the 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 things that have happened in church history mm-hmm. to further. Uh, I think the enemy has been operating to drive a wedge uh, specifically against Jewish and Gentile unity in the church. I believe so. To keep us separate. Yes. And there's, we'll talk a lot about the strategy there uh, mm-hmm. down the line in, in future episodes. But here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still reaping um, a harvest of disunity, mm-hmm. and God's bringing us back together. So can you share a little bit of your heart right now about the the reconnecting that's happening in the in the the merging of uh, Jewish believer and Gentile believer in this time of history? It's been a journey because, again, when I first got saved, I, I really didn't have a clear sense of how the, the Gentiles were part of the, the picture. And actually, to be honest, even for myself, I had even lost a lot of my own Jewish identity to become part of the church. So I felt that the church was maybe this homogeneous thing that we now all sort of joined into, and, you know, because th- there's neither Jew nor Greek, right? That's what, you know, we read in Scripture. So I've, I, you know, like I said, I've given up to a large degree my sort of Jewish identity, but uh, at the same time, I'm having a hard time truly connecting with a lot of Gentile believers because they just did not seem to have an understanding for Israel and for the Jewish people. And I'd feel this, this like this wall of like separation between us. And so, so those conflicts kind of remained with me as I, you know, continued a journey within the church. Now, I, I always found amazing people that loved uh, the Jewish people, that loved Israel, and would open their hearts, and they would invite me to come in and teach. But I also continued to experience a lot of resistance and even rejection and even occasionally some hostility about Israel and about, about the Jewish people. So I had... I had went, this went on for many years, and I had to go through a time. It's very similar to Paul at first, where God was stripping away my legalism under the law, because again, living in Israel, we were very Jewish, Orthodox even, and I had kind of my brain had sort of fallen into that that mold of being an Orthodox Jew, and the Lord spent many years early on stripping all that away and giving me the sense of freedom from all of the legalism and the binded bondage of the law. I also had lost touch with my own Jewish um, heritage. You know, I left Israel at the age of 16, and I was I came back to the United States. I wanted to be an American. I did everything possible to fit into the American culture, and so I spent the next two years of high school kind of sort of erasing my Jewish heritage and becoming an American. And I also even went as far as lying about my Jewish heritage. I didn't want people to know that I was Jewish. I was ashamed of it even. And I had encountered in college even anti-Semitism from some neo-Nazis. Mm. And, you know, that was a fearful thing. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be in America, I better kind of hide my Jewish identity. Well, I, when I got saved, uh, and within a, few, a year or so afterwards, and I'm in now in Chico in California, Northern California, and I'm listening to some Paul Wilbur songs that my mother had sent me from Israel, and I'm hearing about these the songs about Jerusalem and about the Jewish people, and in some of them in Hebrew, and I'm just weeping. Mm. And the Lord is is taking me back to my my Jewish heritage and reconnecting me with, with Jerusalem and all of the memories of 
my time with Rabbi Moshe ben Meir and Ahuva and all of the Christians I had met. He's taking me back to that time and and reminding me of all of the things that I experienced in Jerusalem from, you know, when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. At the same time, the Lord was also changing my heart, and he was teaching me and showing me how to love the Gentiles in spite of all of their lack of understanding about the Jewish people, their lack of understanding about the bigger picture and the kingdom of God and the nation of Israel. He was he was really t- changing my heart and getting me connected with so many Christians that uh, and showing me how to love them and to to connect with them and become one with them. And I so I'm finding myself becoming deeply connected with Israel now and the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and now finding myself also deeply connected with the church, which is predominantly Gentile Christian. So so that's going on, and in all the course, you know, this time of these years of growing in the Lord and reading the Bible and then starting on this ministry journey. And all of a sudden it was, and it wasn't that many years ago, maybe just three or four years ago, to be honest, or five, where I've still got this identity conflict about, am I a Jew or am I a Christian? And I really just didn't know how to answer that question. And interestingly enough, I I went back and I was actually flying to Israel. So this would have been, I guess, 2017 and I'm reading the autobiography of Rabbi Moshe ben Meir. Mm. He's the rabbi that I had met when I was nine, and he taught me how to pray in his sukkah with the lulav and the etrog. And I'm reading his autobiography as as I'm flying to Israel, and what I realized was that his whole life was about how he he became a a Jewish believer— and then all of the struggles that he faced, his rejection mm. by the Jewish people, which I faced rejection from my family afterwards, but also his rejection by many Christians who just could not embrace the fact that he wanted to remain a Jewish man, but a, a Jewish believer in the Messiah of Israel. And his whole his whole mission in life, his whole ministry and purpose in life was to find a community in Jerusalem of people, Christians, Gentiles, and Jewish people that he could connect with and become part of a family with together. And I think that's why he started the Messianic congregation in the first place. But honestly, I'm not sure he ever found what he was looking for. I don't think that the time was yet. Mm. He was longing for something. He was. Very deeply. Yes. That's that's really in the heart of God. He's longing for the family of God. Yes. And we were in Israel together last year. Yes, and um, I know I know this story, which I think is is amazing. Uh, you know, we talk about Rabbi Moshe Ben Meir yes. and your experience that nine year old boy with the lulav in the in the sukkah mm-hmm. feast of tabernacles, and you found out something just last year that I find uh, has the fingerprints of God on your story, and I'd love for you to share what you discovered if you would if you wouldn't mind. Yes, we were there uh, in a, a March, I think it was of last year, and. I had I was visiting my mother after the the conference and I wanted to go visit Ahuva. I had not seen Ahuva, Rab, Rabbi Moshe's uh, wife. I hadn't seen her in probably thirty plus years, and I had this deep longing to go visit her. And so we did. We you know we traveled you know the forty five minutes over to where she, uh, she was, and she's in her mid nineties, ninety four, ninety five. Uh, she's almost completely deaf now and and doesn't remember any Hebrew or English, and so she only speaks in Finnish. And a lady came. Uh, we show up, and and uh, I was showing her the the picture I've I've shown you, where I'm in 1977 in the sukkah with her husband, and he's teaching me how to pray. 
and I'm showing her the picture and she doesn't remember me and she doesn't remember, you know, my mother or anything like that. And the late, this other Finnish woman comes in and she begins translating for us. And so we're having this conversation and bringing back all these memories. And then all of a sudden my mother out of the blue says, oh, I just remembered Moshe, Rabbi Moshe ben Meir, when you were, and I'm showing you the picture, when you were there at, at Sukkot in 1977, he told me, he said that he was going to give you his, his mantle for ministry. Hmm. And then a year later, you know, he died and he, he went to be with the Lord. And so that started to raise all kinds of questions. Well, what was his mantle and his heart for ministry? And so I went back and read the autobiography a second time after that trip, uh, just after we came back from Israel. I read that uh, book again. It's not a very long book. And I began to connect the dots. He was longing for a community where Jews could be Jews and believe in Messiah and Gentiles could join them as one family of God and believe in the same Messiah, the same Messiah, you know, the same God of Israel. Mm -hmm. That's what he was longing for. And I thought that makes sense because that has been my heart ministry for, for many, many years is to see the family of God united the Jewish people with all the nations united as one people of God, one new man, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, every tongue and tribe and nation and people we see a picture of this in the book of Revelation. We're all standing before the Lord. We're worshiping the King, and and we're and so there's that foundation that is restored, so that all the nations are actually coming up to Jerusalem to worship the King, right. who is Yeshua of every tongue and tribe. We're all there together as one people, but yet we still have our unique identities and cultures and nationalities that God created us, and it's in the diversity of our of how He has created us that we come together as one people, and it's like we celebrate God in our diversity. Uh, I love your heart, and, and I, my heart beats with the same longings, you know, mm -hmm. that this diverse expression of, of family, that everyone is, we're, we're equal in Messiah. Yes. And I think one of the things that has come up that um, I'd love to touch on really briefly as we kind of, this episode kind of winding down but maybe in the, in the in the minds of some of our listeners, as we talk about, you know, the selection of Israel mm -hmm. and God's purposes for Israel that have maintained throughout the centuries, well, does that mean that the Gentiles are somehow second class citizens yes. in some capacity? And I think no, of course we not. want to be really clear <laughs> as we talk about these things that that really we believe in this expression of the, of the family. And I'd love for you to kind of maybe close our this episode with some of those thoughts mm -hmm. around the, the family of God and and things that Rabbi Moshe was longing <laughs> for that you're that you're calling for as well we can see if we read in Isaiah we can see in chapter 55 where the Lord declares this what he calls the everlasting covenant he says with all flesh because he says all who thirst come and receive all who hunger come and receive freely and he says that I will give you the sure mercies of David. He's, he's essentially promising salvation to the whole earth according to the mercies that he promised through the Messiah, the son of David. And then in Isaiah 64, the Lord talks specifically about Israel. And he says, in that day, I will make a, a new covenant with you. And it's the same covenant 
you see, it, it, Christ is is the new, he's the new covenant. Right. But here in Isaiah, which is Old Testament, God opened the door of that new covenant to the nations, and yet because we were under the bondage of the old covenant, the old contract that came with condemnation of the law, God says, I'm going to make with you, specifically Israel, a new contract, a new covenant, but it it's it's all the same covenant. It's it's all Christ. And so that's, you see how the nations and Israel then come under this one covenant, this new covenant, which is in Christ. Now, the, it's an interesting question, which is, you know, who is a Jew? And of course, in Jewish law, rabbinic law, we know that you have to be born of a Jewish mother. But I think it's a lot deeper than that, because I don't think God was looking at ethnicity, because he allowed other eth- ethnicities, other strangers or foreigners to join with Israel. And he even says in Exodus, he says, you know, if that stranger wants to join themselves to you and wants to come near me to celebrate the feast of Passover, he said, let them come under the sign of the covenant, which at that time was circumcision, and then they can come near to me to celebrate the feast, and I will consider them as one born of the land. In other words, they are equal with the Jewish people. They are like a native, one born of the land, which means they have a right to the inheritance of the land, which means, most importantly, they're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so, to me, Jewishness is not about ethnicity. It's about citizenship in the kingdom of God. And we know, and Jesus, all he preached about was the kingdom of God. The kingdom is near to you, because he's the king. And he said, this is how you enter the kingdom of God. Unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And so, so being a Jew, essentially, as Paul says, a Jew is not what you have outwardly with the sign of even circumcision, but it's a sign inwardly of what is on your heart. In other words, God has circumcised your heart so that you can receive the new covenant, and and now you are a, you're born again, you're a child of God, and you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Right. And, and he's given that same promise to the Jews and the Gentiles, the nations. So all, it says, that are born of the Spirit of God are of the kingdom. And, Paul, and then Paul even connects it back to Abraham, where he says, look, the, the gospel was even preached to the Gentiles, to Abraham, that God preached the, the, the gospel. And what was the gospel? He said to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation and a company of nations. He said to Abraham, you'll be a father of many nations. And he was speaking of the Gentiles. The gospel was preached to Abraham. That's it's such a great way to uh, close the episode down is the reflection on Abraham, the father of faith, that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, your faith goes back to him. That's right. And because God made a promise to Abraham, and it was not because he didn't inherit the promise because he was righteous. He inherited the promise because he believed. That's right. And it's always been faith that qualifies us to inherit. Do we believe God? Mm-hmm. And it's that that active faith in the Messiah that that brings us into relationship. So I want to thank you, Eric, for sharing an overview of your story and your journey um, as a Jewish believer. We'll talk more about things in future episodes. I'm sure it will all come up more, but uh, it sets us up to really take the next steps. Uh, I'll share my story in the, yes. in the next subsequent episodes. Looking forward and to it. We're really going to dive into, you know, as God has brought you and I together, mm-hmm. he's teasing out a, a, a message that's, it's not a new message. No. This is the oldest message, actually, That's right. of, of unity. It's been the high priestly prayer of Yeshua. 
that that not just these believers that are with me now, but all who would ever believe in me would be mm-hmm. one. That's right. And we're talking about that oneness and 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 God's desire for that and exploring that together. And it, it's a great joy to have this uh, friendship with you and this time to talk. Likewise. So uh, bless everyone that's listening to uh, to this podcast. Again, if you're interested in this, in further episodes, please subscribe, and uh, we will look forward to future episodes that will be coming down the line. God bless you all. If you have enjoyed this podcast from Permission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites. We pray the Lord richly blesses you, and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.